0: That chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us. And Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch from chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos. Walters menu has something for everyone.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulys, and Old Time Lagers. Make your reservation at WaltersDC.com today.
3: Now the pitch swung on and it's driving well to left field. Hernandez going back, way back to the warning track. It's going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Off the back wall. Of the visitors' bullpen, Cooper Hummel. A two-run shot here in the top of the fifth inning. So just after the Nationals had tied the game in the last half inning on the two-run homer by Cruz, the D-backs get a two-run homer by Cooper Hummel. And they're back in front. It's Arizona 4 and Washington 2. Melanson coming set. Bases loaded, two out. The kick in the 0-2. Swing and a high pop-up near the mound. Coming in, a couple of Diamondbacks, and it'll be the third baseman, Yanni Hernandez, to make the catch, and the game is over. Soto pops up on the infield with the bases loaded, and the Nationals, with a great chance with two
0: out of the bottom of the ninth inning, come up just short. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, April 22, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, if the Nats are going to be down in the bottom of the ninth, it's hard to construct a more ideal scenario than what we had on Thursday at Nationals Park. Uh, Nats down by one run, bases loaded, two outs, Juan Soto at the plate, and facing a former Nats closer in Mark Melanson. The stage was set. The path was clear. A Soto hit would likely end the game and the series, give the Nats three wins in four games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but alas, the best hitter on the planet did not come through. Soto fell behind 0-2, then popped out to Diamondbacks third baseman Yanni Hernandez to end the game. Nats lost 4-3. Nats now 6-9 on the season. Mark, I'm sure you had the game story all written featuring the heroics of Juan Soto. Unfortunately, you had to edit that game story Because what we wanted to happen, it sadly did not happen.
2: Well, unfortunately, Al, while I liked your optimism there, as a writer, you do kind of prepare, you know, what if scenario, but I wasn't about to delete the lead to my story I already had, which was that they gave themselves a golden opportunity late in the game and could not come through. And unfortunately, that's the version I had to use of it. But I mean, sure, he steps to the plate and you're thinking, you can't ask for anything more than this, right? This is the guy you want. The entire game, I'm thinking to myself, something's going to happen. They're going to put something together here eventually. And they came as close as you could get. They gave themselves as many opportunities as you could get and gave themselves the best possible opportunity with the best hitter on the planet right there at the end. And he just missed it. It didn't happen. It's unfortunate. It would have been a great moment. I would still put my money on him most of the time to come through there. But Melanson got the best of him this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we have with the Nats, right, the bigger picture and the smaller picture, the macro and the micro. If you're just analyzing the Nats this season, it has been frustrating with this offense. Thursday's game was another aggravating game, just three runs, just five hits. Nats did draw four walks, but the Nats went 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position, and this was a winnable game. I mean, you know, the Diamondbacks are a bad team, and the Nats very well could have won three of the four games in this series. And the Nats bullpen did a tremendous job of keeping the Nats in this game. Josh Rogers got roughed up. The bullpen, though, ends up preserving things to where it was like right there for the Nats. And I tell you, what really stood out is this was not only not the Nats A bullpen, you could argue this was like the Nats C bullpen on Thursday. You had five relievers being used by Davey Martinez. Those five guys, Victor Arano, Sam Clay, Austin Voth, Erasmo Ramirez and Andres Machado. But those five guys gave you four and two thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. If Soto comes through in that spot, he's the hero of the game. But like hero B is that Nats pen. That was some job by those guys.
2: They absolutely made it all possible. And already this year, how many times have we seen when they trail and they turn it over to pick your letter of the alphabet for the bullpen, but it's not the a bullpen more often than not, we've seen them compound a deficit and make it even worse and tougher to attempt a comeback. And instead, they were fantastic. They got a couple of jams in there, but they all found a way to get through it. And I agree. I was all prepared to focus on the job that they did if the lineup did come through. And unfortunately, they didn't. And in a way, I think it almost makes it even more frustrating because of all the things to have happen, those five relievers to post nothing but zeroes. And you still didn't win the game. Like you said, we're not all that consumed with what the record is this year. And in the end, did it really make a difference whether they won this game or not? No. And yet, you do so many things right there. And a series that you swept the doubleheader on Tuesday, and instead of winning a series against a pretty bad Diamondbacks team, you end up splitting it. I think that's a pretty big disappointment, actually.
0: Yeah. Now... We get it. The Diamondbacks are bad. They are not a good hitting team. But the bullpen for the Nats in this series ended up being really good in three of the four games. You go back to the doubleheader sweep on Tuesday, the game one win four Nats relievers combined for three and two thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. The game two win three Nats relievers combined for two and two thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. And as we noted, this was not the A bullpen that was on display on Thursday. Those guys ended up coming through. It's one of the early season surprises with this Nats team, the extent to which the bullpen has helped to keep the Nats in games. Now, the overall numbers for the pen aren't great. The bullpen ERA is 406, which is nothing to go crazy over. But if you're watching these games, you know that that ERA has been inflated by some really bad performances, but in the mix have been some excellent performances. It seems like it's a high variance pen so far this year. The bad games have been pretty bad. But the good games have been great, and we saw another good game on Thursday. And the game comes off more bad injury news for the Nats bullpen on Thursday. Now, you did have good injury news in that Josh Bell played on Thursday, and it looks like this left knee ailment may not be the serious ailment that we feared it could be. But Hunter Harvey goes on the 10-day injured list, and that's uh, making that roster move not long before the game. Hunter Harvey, a guy who actually had been doing pretty well for the Nats, in his time with the Nats, four games, two and two-thirds scoreless innings, but now he has hurt again. He goes on the 10-day IL with a right pronator strain, another one of these injuries that kind of comes out of nowhere. So Wednesday, Sean Doolittle to the I.O. with a left elbow sprain, and now on Thursday, Harvey to the 10-day IL with this right pronator strain.
2: Yeah, and that is basically the elbow, just below the elbow at the forearm. It's a muscle, so we're not talking about a ligament or anything there, but certainly not what you want to have happen, and especially from a guy that, as we have talked about, has such an injury history. And the irony is, is that just the day before, Davey Martinez was talking about how much he likes what he's seen from Harvey, how with Doolittle out he may need to start asking him to be more part of the A bullpen and felt like he was ready for it while then in the same breath saying, but I have to take care of him because I know the history there and we have to be careful with him. And then he goes and pitches in relief on Wednesday night and afterwards told them that he wasn't feeling right and they got the MRI and this is what it showed. So, you know, unfortunately is the case here. Even when you think you may have something, you always in the back of your mind have to know He's never been able to stay healthy, and so you take what you can get, but you just don't count on it because the track record suggests that you can't.
0: No, he is like the human injured list. I mean, it's it's actually kind of sad because he is so talented, and he is still relatively young. This is just his age 27 season. The Orioles took Harvey with the number 22 pick in the 2013 draft nine years ago, and yet he's still years away from 30 as we have seen – he still has a fastball that hits mid-90s, upper 90s, and he had done well, but in his career, he hasn't even really had a major league career. He is constantly injured, and it's been a real shame. So well, there were two corresponding roster moves to the Nats putting Harvey on the 10-day IL, one of them was recalling Erasmo Ramirez from AAA Rochester. Now, unless I miss something Erasmo Ramirez is not Spanish for Tyler Clippard. What is going on here with Tyler Clippard? Why wasn't he called up to replace Hunter Harvey?
2: Clippard had five scoreless appearances to start his season for Rochester, and then pitching back-to-back days for the first time, he got lit up the next one and gave up five runs. And that was four days ago, and he hasn't pinched since. So I don't know the exact specifics there, but I think pretty clearly they didn't feel like it was the right time to call him up, I still think we're going to see him here sooner rather than later. But I thought that was telling that this wasn't just calling up somebody who was already on the forty-man roster. They had to go make a move to clear a forty-man spot, and to do that, they put Arey Adrians on the sixty-day IL, which I'm sure we'll get to here in a moment. So the fact that they did that not for Clipperd but for Ramirez does kind of say to me that they think Clipperd, for whatever reason is not there yet and might need some more time. And that's unfortunate because I think we all just assume we'd be seeing him certainly by now as another member of what looks like a pretty deep bullpen.
0: Yeah. I mean, it looks like Clippard may not be joining the Nats until May. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening here. But yeah, you know, and I got a kick out of this. The Nats, they've done this for years, but when they make multiple roster moves, they always have as the headline for the press release, the guy who is being promoted. And so the press release put out by the Nats was, Nats recall Erasmo Ramirez. And you're like, oh, okay, that sounds exciting. And then you read it, you say Hunter Harvey on a 10-day ILO. A-Ray Adriante to the 60-day IL. What? What? Where did this come from? Slip that one in there. <laughs> the Nats, they always do this, right? They bury the lead in these press releases. They've even done that like when Steven Strasburg has been put on the injured list. It's like, oh, Joe Schmo is recalled from AAA Syracuse. Oh, okay. That- oh, wait a second. Strasburg's hurt. What? But yeah, a. Ray Adrianza, a super utility man, right? How often did we yell and scream last year about the Nats' last lacking position flex, lacking positional versatility? Well, A. Ray Adrianza was signed by the Nats to help uh, correct that problem. It was a smart signing. He's not a very good hitter, but he is so positionally versatile. Well, A. Ray Adrianza on March 31st in an exhibition game suffered a left quadricep strain And uh, this appears to be the left quadriceps strain from, like, the nether regions here. I mean, this is unbelievable what's happened. He hasn't played at all this season. He's been out to begin this season. And now with this transfer to the 60-day injured list, he's not going to be playing again anytime soon. Now, we know a strain is at least a minor tear. Quadriceps tears can be very serious injuries. Are we to assume that he maybe tore the quad... And that this is, you know, a very serious quadriceps injury. It's obviously not a minor one.
2: Yeah, I mean, it could be. And you've sort of seen hints at this, you know, over the last couple of weeks. And again, we mentioned this the other night, watching it live, it looked bad. He pulled up lame. I thought it was his hamstring. Turns out it was the quad. Really limping out of the clubhouse that night in Port St. Lucie. But then he was trying to insist that he thought he could be ready within a few days and make the opening day roster. Well, obviously that didn't happen. And once you go on the 60-day, now it's backdated, so it doesn't mean 60 days from now, but it means 60 days from opening day. So you're still talking June before he'd even be eligible to return. And that's awfully disappointing. And I don't even think it's a case of, well, they just had to move somebody to clear a spot. And so, well, even if we think he might be ready sooner than that. We're just going to have to do this for the sake of the open 40-man spot because they still have Steven Strasburg and Mason Thompson on the 10-day IL. So they could have moved one of them, more likely Thompson, I would think, to the 60-day to clear that spot. I've sort of been waiting to see if that's a move that's going to happen here recently, and it hasn't. So that says to me that they truly know that Adrianza is not coming back for a long time and that's very discouraging because with a shortstop in Escobar who's been struggling, a third baseman in Franco who's been struggling, you thought at minimum we'd be seeing a decent amount of Adrianza bouncing around between positions and maybe playing some and instead they're going to have to make do until he's finally back.
0: It is easy to lose track of who is out right now for the Nats due to injury. The list is growing and this is kind of sneak up on you. But, you know, in terms of pitchers, right, you have Steven Strasburg on the 10 day injured list. You have Anibal Sanchez on the 10 day injured list. You have Mason Thompson on the 10 day injured list. Now we have Hunter Harvey and Sean Doolittle on the 10 day injured list. Will Harris is on the 60 day injured list. Will Harris has become like a ghost. You never even see or hear about this guy anymore. Seth Romero is on the 60-day injured list, to whatever extent that matters. Joe Ross is on the 60-day injured list. Don't forget about him. And then in terms of position players, right, you have Carter Keboom on the 60-day injured list. Now you have A. Ray Adrianza on the 60-day injured list. And D. Strange Gordon remains on, I don't know, is it the COVID injured list? They still won't say that, but that certainly seems to be what it is here. So look, I know every team deals with injury, but it feels like this is kind of growing and growing here for the Nats. They're without some guys who could be helping them right now.
2: Yeah. And I think it's most notable here in the bullpen that you're now starting to see. And it is, we all worried. And I know Davey was worried about it too. When you have a short spring, go right into the season with no off days and you have to use up as many relievers they've been using, you do run the risk of guys going down. And I think they knew there was a chance it would happen, but. That's now three relievers who've been hurt. Mason Thompson, Sean Doolittle, Hunter Harvey, and Will Harris, if you want to go back to spring training. So that's a problem. There is a domino effect of all that. And all of a sudden, what was looking like a deep bullpen maybe isn't as deep as before. You've got some guys on the staff now who we never really imagined would be on the staff at this point in the season and eventually they're going to have to pitch some significant innings because you can't just keep going to the same three or four guys every night and then again remember come may 1st they have to reduce the roster by two from 28 to 26 so there's going to be a crunch here at some point and they're going to have to ask a lot out of a bullpen that's not as experienced or deep as they thought it was or even that it was maybe a week ago
0: Yeah, I mean, it's nice what we're seeing from the bullpen now, but it's hard to see this continuing if the Nats continue to have starting pitchers who just do not last for, say, you know, six innings with any kind of regularity. Victor Arano was, again, the first man out of the pen for the Nats in this game on Thursday, came into the game at the top of the fifth with one out, sandwiched two outs around a walk. Kristen Walker, who then was caught stealing second base by a throw by Arano, two-second. Then you had Sam Clay tossing a scoreless top of the sixth. How about Austin Voth, scoreless top of the seventh with three strikeouts. He gave up a leadoff double, but then recorded three straight strikeouts, and the three strikeouts were of the top three batters in a Diamondbacks lineup. Then came Erasmo Ramirez, scoreless top of the eighth, despite loading the bases with a one-out. And then Andres Machado tossing a perfect top of the ninth inning. So Good to see that. I mean, you know, Arano, we've talked about this. We know Davey likes him. Man, he really likes him. I mean, this is multiple times here. We've seen this first guy out of the pen is Arano. That's like the go to guy for Davey often here in terms of like starting the bullpen parade. I think this was
2: his eighth appearance now in 15 games. You can do the math and figure out what that means over a whole season. That's probably more than you would like from anyone. I don't care who you are. You want to keep your top relievers to maybe 70 appearances total, you don't want to be up in that 80 range. I thought Austin Voth looked outstanding. Fastball was hitting 96 as he recorded some of those strikeouts. And Andres Machado kind of quietly facing the top of the order in the ninth gets a quick one, two, three inning. And that set the stage for potentially the rally in the bottom of the inning. So it's another reason, like I said earlier, that you just wish they had pulled off that rally because this would have been such an, I think, inspiring victory in large part because of what the B bullpen did to allow them to still be in a position to try to rally at the end.
0: Yeah. Erasmo Ramirez may not be Spanish for Tyler Clippard, but Victor Arano is Spanish for Wander Suero. I think that's pretty clear (laughs) at this point. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need. And Make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. That's two years. Just call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. As you likely know, natural gas prices continue to rise. Does your energy bill say that you're using more energy than similar homes? This is because you need new windows. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient window nation windows buy two windows get two windows free pay nothing for two years no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands of dollars. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Take advantage of Window Nation special offer. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90NATION or visit WindowNation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit WindowNation.com. .com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: and now Rogers rocks kicks 2-2 pitch swung on into the air to left center field Hernandez going back Robles going back to the warning track to the wall and it is gone goodbye Jake McCarthy with his first home run and two solo homers in two innings for Arizona
0: Josh Rogers was the Nats starting pitcher on Thursday. He struggled for a second consecutive start, four runs in four and a third innings. He gave up six hits, three homers, and three singles. He issued one walk. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 71 pitches in his four and a third innings. I mean, the homers were the thing. Top of the first gives up a two-out opposite field solo homer to Matt Davidson and To right center on a 1-2 pitch, top of the second, gives up a two-out opposite field solo homer to Jake McCarthy to left center, despite McCarthy having been down at 1.02. Top of the fifth, Rodgers gives up a two-run homer to Cooper Hummel to left field for a 4-2 Diamondbacks lead. The balls were flying out of Nationals Park for a good bit of this game on Thursday. And, you know, Rogers, three starts now. He was good in his first start, but he's had some issues here over these last two. You know, we've talked about, well, maybe Rogers could be the first guy to be knocked out of the rotation. You know, you're not oozing options right now. We just went through all the pitchers who are out due to injury. So I would assume that Rogers' spot in the rotation is safe for now. But, you know, clearly at some point, hopefully, you know, a Strasburg is going to be ready to go. Maybe Annabelle. Sanchez is going to be ready to go, and so if you're Rodgers, I mean, you've got to think about things logically. It's probably you or Johanna Adone who's going to be that first guy out of the rotation, and you know he keeps struggling like this. It may well be him who's the first guy out of the rotation.
2: Yeah, I mean he's going to get another start at least because nobody else is ready to replace him yet, and it may even be longer than that. But the clock is ticking. He does need to turn this around and. I don't know they ever expected him to pitch at an elite level, and maybe what he did in Atlanta that night was beyond what is reasonably expected of him. But they do expect him, and he expects more of himself than what he's done these last two games. The home runs, he felt like two of them were on particularly bad pitches. The home run, he didn't actually, the third one he thought was a decent pitch, and he gave credit to uh, the guy for hitting it out. To go four and a third and throw 71 pitches, he knows that that's just not going to work. That's not going to keep him in the big leagues for long right now they kind of have to keep him here but that's going to have to improve and the kind of pitcher that he is when he's going well it's quick outs low pitch count induce weak contact and in these last two starts there hasn't been nearly enough of that
0: it's funny with rogers three starts his best start came in a game against atlanta his two bad starts have come in games against bad teams in pittsburgh And Arizona, but yeah, he was quite good in that game at Atlanta—an 11-2 win on April 11th. One run, five and a third innings. Rogers in that game at one point retired ten consecutive Braves batters. So we mentioned this being another you know ho hum game for the Nats offensively. There were though some bright spots, and the biggest bright spot was Nelson Cruz homering. The set in the 0-1, swinging a long drive left field. Way back there toward the concourse, and it's gone. Three rows from the top of Section 105, a game-tying two-run homer for Nelson Cruz. was terrific to see this. Nelson Cruz, one for four, with a two-run homer, and this was a no-doubter. This was a classic Nelson Cruz home run. Nationals put up two runs in the bottom of the fourth. Nelson Cruz in that inning, a two-run homer on a blast to left field To tie the game at two, the homer per cast going a projected 426 feet and posting an exit velocity of 112.5 miles per hour. You know, we've talked about this with Cruz. He has not had a great start to the season. He certainly has not hit for much power so far this season, but I think it's pretty reasonable to say the power will come. The hitting will come. This was Annette's first home run in five games, the first homer since that Juan Soto homer into the Allegheny River this past Saturday evening in Pittsburgh, but uh, that was some shot by Nelson Cruz.
2: It's the best ball he's hit this year, including spring training. He just crushed that. Like you said, that's a classic Nelson Cruz swing and classic Nelson Cruz home run. And I think what he did is he was out in front of it finally. He's getting his timing down. You know, I thought about this. I watched a breakdown not that long ago on MLB Network of Albert Cujols' swing and showing how as you get older, the bat speed is not going to be there. And you have to do some things to sort of generate that power and that bat speed to make up for it. And that involves often starting the swing a little sooner, frankly. So I think he finally did that in this at bat, and you would hope that maybe that it's a sign of more things to come. So much of this is timing for hitters, and I think the older you get, the more the timing matters. You can't get away with maybe being late on a pitch the way that he used to in his earlier days. So, you know, he's 41. I know we say, oh, he's going to hit home runs, and he is, but it's not as easy as it used to be. And every hitter, I don't care who you are, as long as you're not taking things that you're not supposed to that make you unnaturally powerful well into your 40s as a handful of players have over the years there are adjustments you have to make and so hopefully he's starting to figure that out and this was a good sign for him although he did have another chance late in the game with two on a chance to tie it in the eighth and he popped up on the very first pitch which is always frustrating to watch wasn't the only one in this game who did that but that was kind of one of the most notable boy you really wish that didn't have that result there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen this with the Nats offensively. So you figure as the three big bats go, so will the Nats' offense go. And talking about Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, well, two of the three have gotten just fine so far this year. Soto's been very good. Bell's been very good. Cruz is the guy who hasn't hit. And, you know, Cruz, even with this home run, his OPS on the year is just 588. I mean, it's not been a good. Uh, start to his season. I think it's, you know, like I said, he's going to hit, but it really hasn't happened thus far. Maybe this home run gets him going. The Nats now eight home runs in 15 games, and it's not just that, only four Nats players have homered this season. Soto has three, Bell and Cruz each has two, Michael Franco has one. That's it, just four Nats players have homered, and I know that homers are down across baseball, but the Nats, relative to the rest of the majors, are not hitting home runs. And, you know, you take what happened on Thursday. The Diamondbacks hit three home runs. The Nats hit just the one. And like I said, that was their first home run since last Saturday. First home run in five games. That should change. But that's been frustrating to watch. A lot of singles and just not many extra base hits for the Nats so far this season.
2: Yeah, and the concerning thing would be, you know, if they are hitting... Balls that off the bat, you kind of jump up and think, "Oh, that's got a chance," and then it dies in the cold air and just gets the warning track. You say, "Okay, well, come July, those are going to be home runs." They haven't had a lot of those. The first week, maybe they did a little bit. They haven't had those here in the last week or so. You're right, a lot of ground balls, and on this day, for whatever reason, a lot of pop ups in this one. So that's timing. It's a launch angle. Take your pick how you want to describe it. A lot of things. I think they're going to be okay in that regard in the end, but this may not be a high home run team. That may not be ultimately the way they do score their runs. You want to believe that they can get some when they really need them, but some of these guys, it's not necessarily their style, and they're going to have to find other ways to string together hits and get a rally. And unfortunately, I think you saw that in this game, where right now it's requiring not just like two hits or three hits, but like four hits to score runs. They even managed to score a run in the eighth inning without
3: Getting a hit. Base is loaded and the 0 2 pitch. Swing and he got a piece. Could not be squeezed by the. No way! Catcher's interference is called! Bell for the second time in the series hits the catcher's glove on the swing of the catcher reaching for the ball. And it's tough to do that.
2: You know, it's tough to sustain rallies in this league, especially against power arms late in games. So that's where the home runs do come in handy. But if they can't rely on that, then they are going to have to come up with a way to manufacture runs. And that's not so easy to do.
0: No, when you have to nickel and dime teams to win games and score runs, that's just not a great formula for success. But you mentioned that one run, eighth inning for the Nats. So how about what happened in that inning? Josh Bell reaches base with the bases loaded and two outs on catcher interference. He actually got credited with an RBI. But how about this? If Josh Bell reaching base via catcher interference sounds familiar, it should. He just did this this past Saturday evening. We had a lot of parallels with this game on Thursday to that game at the Pirates this past Saturday evening. Bell in that game, in the top of the first, reached base with two outs via catcher interference. He ends up doing so again on Thursday this time with the bases loaded for the Nats to score a run. But the headline, I guess, really with Bell is that he played. He started on Thursday. He left the game on Wednesday night due to an ailing left knee, but obviously felt well enough, and the testing came back clear enough to where He was out there. So that was good. I mean, for all of the injury problems with which the Nats are dealing right now, this bell news was very good news on Thursday.
2: Yeah, like we said the night before, if he had to miss any time, this was a real problem for them, given their lack of other options at first base and just how thin the lineup depth is right now. So that's very encouraging. MRI came back clean. They waited a while. They had him go through a bunch of pregame drills to make sure that he was going to be all right. And they didn't actually put out the lineup until about an hour before game time. That may have also had something to do with the Hunter Harvey IL move. But, yeah, good news now. He didn't have a great day at the plate, 0 for 4, including the catcher's interference. But looking at him in the field, he seemed to be moving OK. So I didn't really notice anything that stood out that said he might be hampered at all. You hope that that's all there was, tightness on one night and won't deal with it again, but probably something to watch at least through the weekend.
0: So what's coming up for the Nats this weekend is a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher in Game 1 Friday night at 7.05. You can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. David sent us this email. Very observant is David. He says, I'm not sure if anyone has yet noticed, but the signs on the C parking deck over the team store, which historically feature the four star players ownership wants to promote are Juan Soto, Steven Strasburg, Josiah Gray and Josh Bell. What message does that send to Patrick Corbin? Well, I don't think anyone's necessarily shocked that Corbin is not among those four faces, but I always think stuff like that is interesting, right? Who is the team trying to market? Who is the team trying to sell? Juan Soto makes total sense. Strasburg's still up there despite what's happened the last two years. That's kind of interesting. Josh Bell is up there. So when we talk about this being a contract season for Bell, maybe that's indicative of the Nats wanting him to stick around. And Josiah Gray, uh, for whom clearly there are high hopes. So I think that's kind of interesting who those four guys are.
2: Yeah, and they have, really, from the moment he arrived here, been touting Gray as a top guy look in the future. I think Cabert Ruiz deserves to be in that same breath, uh, and maybe before long we'll be seeing a poster of him up there. You know, without Corbin, uh, you, you got to show us something again here, I think, before he gets that again. Now, Strasburg, you know, Corbin at least is pitching in the big leagues right now, and Strasburg is not, but I think you say, given the history of the organization, what Strasburg has meant to them. He still does carry that importance for the franchise that you're still going to treat him that way. But it would be nice to see him pitching in a game again for the Nationals, would it not? I mean, maybe one of these days before the summer arrives, we will see that happen.
0: Yeah. So I was just about to ask you, because initially we thought, well, early May, maybe we will see Steven Strasburg. Well, you know, in life time goes by quickly. And here we are now deep in the month of April. And soon it will be May. And Steven Strasburg has yet to make any kind of a minor league rehab start or anything like that. So what do you think in this recovery from the surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome? Are we looking at June for the Strasburg uh, regular season Major League debut? I'm not even trying to put a date on
2: it right now because it's probably pretty foolish to do that. I will say I asked for an update on him the other day and was told that he is both he and Joe Ross are not facing live hitters yet. So now Strasburg did do that earlier in spring training. I saw him face live hitters in Palm Beach. So obviously there's a step back there at some point. I know he was working on the windup uh, again instead of just the stretch. So I think they're trying to get all the mechanics in line before they start doing that. But sure, I mean, think about whenever it is that he is cleared to start, like, facing hitters in game situations, it's usually, for somebody starting from scratch, it's usually a good month of of rehab starts, whether that's in Florida, whether that's up here in simulated games or actually minor league rehab assignment. So if we get to May 1st, which is coming up soon, and he hasn't started doing that, then, yeah, we probably are looking at June 1st, I would think you'd have to say. And that's not necessarily a surprise, like they've said all along. I think we're looking at May or maybe even June. But you'd like to see some signs of progress there, I would think. <laughs> and so far, it's just kind of right where we've been all along.
0: And while we're talking about guys coming off thoracic outlet syndrome, Will Harris, I'm pretty sure he's still under contract to the organization. But again, like you never hear about this guy anymore. Where is he at? Is he going to be pitching for them this season? What's the deal with Will Harris?
2: So remember, he had he was still dealing with something he pitched in a spring training game, was still dealing with something. They sent him to go get it checked out and they found some scar tissue that they removed from last summer surgery. Now that's good news in theory that they found that and it's nothing worse. The bad news is it was gonna set him back about six weeks before it could start throwing again. So he's got a ways to go. Unfortunately, with all of these guys, you hope that we see them and you hope that they contribute but I don't know that you count on any of it because even if they do come back and pitch, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be effective. We don't really know off these kind of major surgeries what you're dealing with here. So you hope for it, but if you're mapping out this season and beyond, I think you have to view whatever you get from those guys as kind of a bonus at this point. And maybe it happens. It's great. But if it doesn't, you are trying to build a pitching staff around others and hope that these guys are just also a part of it as well.
0: Yeah. Well, this is it for Harris. This is the final season of a three-year, $24 million deal that he signed January 2020. So he's done with the team after this year. Uh, Strasburg, we know, is a different story. He still will have four seasons left on the 70-year, $245 million contract. But I'm with you. I don't think you can count on anything with Steven Strasburg moving forward, but you certainly hope for the best and you root for him. And all of these Nats trying to come back from injury. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate so much all of the feedback that we get. We appreciate so much all of the stories of your first times at Major League Games. We've gotten uh, some terrific submissions, uh, terrific entries uh, regarding that. You can keep those coming. Again, the email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email Tim Shovers if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Our newest one is out. It is red. It is glorious. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of, Of 106.7, the fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Goldie. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast. And we leave you with our good pal, the Rally Mullet of Pennsylvania and his tale of his first Major League game.
4: Hi, Al. Hi, Mark. And hi, Tim. This is the Rally Mullet. I wanted to give my experience that I had on the very first baseball game that I went to. It was back in uh, 1990, back in old Memorial Stadium, When the Baltimore Orioles played the Oakland A's, I was an Oakland A's fan with, you know, Canseco, Henderson, McGuire on the team. Being able to go see them with a friend of mine and my cousin uh, because they were in Baltimore was like, you know, a dream come true back then. And even uh, as the years went by, when I would visit You know, Baltimore, I would usually go and cheer on the opposing team. You know, it was kind of one of those things. I'd like to go see the opposing players visiting Baltimore. So it was always cool trying to catch different guys. Of course, Ripken being there was one of those things that was always a time to see him play. On this day, uh, it was actually a Jim Palmer day. They gave out little pins that I actually still have. Uh, that had Jim Palmer jersey and he came out gave a little speech you know it still sticks with me the the memories going to the ballpark eating some hot dogs and enjoying a baseball game you know when I was about nine ten years old now I cheer on the Nets and I'm glad there's a team in, in D.C. to be able to go to and cheer on thanks guys